Thank you for tuning in to our latest episode of Twin Souls, a Best Friends podcast. We hope you enjoy our murder, mystery, and mayhem series, and we plan to bring our listeners even more content in the future. We tell you all about ourselves, our lives, and our stories, and somewhere in between, we get into the tough and sometimes funny or sexy topics. Stay tuned for more episodes from us at Twin Souls Podcast. Hello, deserving listeners. Welcome to season two of our BFF podcast. This season, we're turning things up here at Twin Souls Podcast. Join us as we dive into bizarre criminal cases with lots of twists and turns along the way. Don't forget to tune in for once a week to the BFF portion of our podcast where anything and everything is up for discussion. We're super excited to bring our deserving listeners new amazing content. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Twin Souls Podcast. If you do a quick Google search on Dr. Death, you'll find many different stories of many different doctors from around the world who have claimed this title. Today, we're going to talk about three separate and pretty interesting cases um, of Doctors of Death. So this episode is called Destruction in the Doctors of Death. Harold Shipman. Harold was a second-born child of Vera and Harold Sr. He was born January 14th, 1946 in Nottingham, England. He was born into a working-class family, and the family happened to move to Manchester, where he spent most of his time and grew up. His parents were devoted Methodists. I was actually going to search what that meant, but I... Methodist? Yeah, I Hang on. didn't... Um, originally a movement within the Church of England in Britain. So it's like a... Uh... It's like a it's like a type of church, like a type of religion. So um, uh, it's an Armenian doctrine, Methodism. Sure. sure. Okay, let's okay. go with that. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he was, however, a social outcast, as his only true friends were his mother and his sister. Harold was particularly close to his mother who developed cancer when he was in his teens. Harold would often return home from school, sit by his side and chat with her in an attempt to ease her pain. Her relief only came when the doctor, the family doctor would come and administer high doses of morphine. Harold was fascinated at his mother's mood change from agony and pure pain to pure bliss. In 1963, his mother passed away after a hard fight with cancer. How old was he? I think he was about 17 when his mother died. Oh my gosh, wow. He was young. Yeah, yeah. So basically his interest in medicine began when he seen the the pain relief that his mom would receive. He, really? He was fascinated by that, and that's how he actually got into studying medicine. So wow, two, that's like really interesting. Right? So two years later, Harold began studying at the Leeds University. It was during this time when he met his future wife, Primrose. He was basically a virgin. She was his one and only. Wow. Until his death, basically. So how about that? <laughs> there you go. That's what I was trying to get at. Okay, that that. Absolutely gets to the point. 
Love it. So uh, about one year later, after meeting Primrose, they actually got married. They got married and they actually went on to have four children. Primrose was truly a reliable and trustworthy person who stuck by her husband and what she believed in and what she trusted in. Even after her husband was arrested, she maintained his innocence. Wow. So so let's get into kind of where things started taking a turn, I guess. Yeah. So he was like, was he completely normal? Is that yeah. kind of what you're getting at? Like, he was just a normal kind of guy, married, had four kids. Yeah, like, and going through it, he, this guy is going to be a serial killer, but you're never going to know that. Uh, you would never know that because he didn't really fit into the columns that all the serial killers, like, you would think fit into. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow, that's really interesting. Four kids and a wife. Hmm. So after graduating school, he began work as a general practitioner at the Abraham Ormrod Medical Center in Todd Morden, West Yorkshire, in 1974. So however, a year later in 1975, Harold had been caught secretly forging prescriptions for himself for pethidine, an opiate, and was fined 600 euros. He also attended uh, briefly a drug rehabilitation clinic in York. Wow. So like right down there, things are starting to get fishy. Like it doesn't really, there's no major, I guess you can say. It kind of seems like the drug thing was the start of his spiral. Yeah, that's what, that's what we're going to think, but I guess we're going to find I mean, I guess maybe... the death of his, the mother, the death, death of his mother, too. Exactly. Yeah, true, true. Like, Could've maybe been. it's one thing and one thing put together. Yeah. Just an idea. Exactly, exactly. But it amazes me how normal he was. Wow. So, uh, so after he was released and left the rehab, he worked as a medical officer And then he actually became a general practitioner again because he had lost his license originally. Um, This time, he became a general practitioner at the Donnybrook Medical Center in Hyde, Greater Manchester. Harold Shippen worked throughout the 90s and, sorry, throughout the 80s and early 90s with no issues and became a highly respected member of the community. In 1993, he opened his own practice However, this remained open for about five years until things took a turn and secrets came out. In 1998, Dr. Linda Reynolds of the Brook Surgery in Hyde, assisted by Deborah Massey of Massey's and Son's Funeral Parlor, expressed concerns to a coroner named John Pollard in the South Manchester District, stating that the high death rates that uh, Harold Shipman has received. They were confused because many of his patients were healthy, had no severe illnesses, and somehow they didn't understand why some of these patients were being supplied with massive amounts of morphine. However, he did kind of have proof. He had um, his files and notes kind of explained why each of his patients were 
on what drug and the amount of drugs, basically. So yeah. I guess you could say he yeah. had an explanation for everything. Well, he'd have to in yes. case anyone ever audited his files and whatnot. Exactly. So there were also a surprisingly large number of cremation forms for elderly women that needed to be countersigned. It was then that Shipman was actually suspected of negligent actions, uh, possibly even killing some patients. So, so in 98, things sort of became a suspicion. Things might be happening, but we actually don't have proof. We're getting lots of forms from elderly people for cremation when, let's be honest, in 90, what is it, 98, you would think a lot of these elderly patients would be buried with in their families. Well, yeah, but are you okay? So are you saying that um, most of his elderly patients were healthy? So there was no reason for him to have prior to him treating them is what I mean. Exactly. That's exactly right. Okay. So I'm following. Okay. So it wasn't until the death of a woman named Kathleen Grundy on June 24th, 1998, um, so Kathleen was actually discovered on a couch by some friends, and it had also become knowledge that she had visited Harold Shipman, uh, so Dr. Harold, a few hours before her death, actually. He was, wow. appar- he was apparently taking blood samples for research. Uh, it also became knowledge to Kathleen's daughter, Angela, that an autopsy wasn't required to determine how she died. So Harold Shipman basically put cause of death is basically normal, a normal death, you know, there's no need to look into it. Yeah. So everything, nothing was suspicious then. No, no. But now Angela is starting, her suspicions are starting to go off as well. So so now there's like a couple different people who are now starting to suspect something. So it gets even weirder. Angela began receiving calls from her solicitor that informed her that her mother had recently submitted her last will and testament, uh, a revised version of it, actually. The mother had left $386,000 to Dr. Harold Shipman and not not her anymore. So Angela, after ordering to see copies of the documents, um, they were wrongly worded, typed badly, and the signatures did not match hers those of uh, what she knew of her mother's. So Angela went to the police. She said, beep, beep, hold on. Yeah, something is wrong. Exactly. So the Something's police, fishy. Something's fishy and Harold's name's all over it. Yep. Police opened an investigation into Shipman, possibly forging documents. However, they discovered something more sinister and horrifying. Oh my God. On investigation, police searched Shipman's office, home, and police found various pieces of women's jewelry, discarded medical records, and a typewriter that matched the typeface and layouts of the Kathleen Grundy will and testament. Police began speaking to families um, about their recently deceased relatives and learned that the Shipman advised a lot of the families to cremate the bodies of their loved ones and to not request any further investigation into their deaths. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? So the fact that no one really <laughs> pumped the brakes and said, hold on, what, what do you mean? Um, like red so, flag. However, if someone did request further information, Harold had actually falsified all of the patient records to justify the doses of morphine 
and drugs oh. used on them. Wow. A self-proclaimed computer expert, Harold, was actually pretty clueless. Um, Shipman, not realizing that every change he made through the computer and the online medical records were actually logged onto the hard drive with specific details and timestamps. So basically, when the original files came through and everything and everyone's perfectly fine, and then all of a sudden, all these errors and things have been changed and nothing makes sense. Oh. So at the at the conclusion of the investigation, it was revealed that Harold had killed at least 15 of his patients with causes of death being lethal and fatal doses of morphine. When confronted, Shipman denied all claims. 15 victims makes Shipman one of the worst serial killers in British history. However, that number was much higher than predicted. So now let's go into a little bit more about numbers. So between the years of 1917 and 19... Okay. Uh, was this after he got his license back? So between the years of 1965, so right when he went into school. In 1998, okay. he had a total of 459 patients who had actually died under his care. Taking into consideration that the natural deaths was an upwards of about 250 people, um, there was still almost 250 people more than compared to most doctors around. So his death rates were extremely, extremely high, even, even when he started his first year as a doctor. After he was arrested, officers presented him with pictures of possible victims. They showed a photo of a woman named Elizabeth Pierce, in which uh, investigators noted he held his breath for almost nine seconds, which is five seconds longer than his base, baseline breathing rate. When pathologists seen this information, they knew Elizabeth Pierce was an important person to him. In January 2000, he was found guilty and sentenced to 15 life sentences and an additional four years. His jail sentence lasted four years before he hung himself and died. In the end, it was found that he had between 218 to 215 sorry 250 victims total wow that um wow that's crazy right right so so he's in so he's dead now obviously he committed suicide yes exactly that's kind of a bullshit ending though i'm not gonna lie a little oh, disappointed oh that like, like just like israel keys are you kidding me like a lot of these serial killers are being allowed to kill themselves like really no no I wonder, like, if his kids talk about him at all. Like, the four kids he left behind. I wonder right. if, yeah, it would be interesting to see where they are now. It definitely would be. Because they would all be adults by now. This? I'm just, he had four children. Yeah. Okay, let's see what it says. I'm just curious. I feel like we should add this in because I'm wondering what quality of life that they have now living with that. So it's just interesting to see. Okay, it says, what happened to his family? Primrose. Yeah, you were right. So she totally was loyal. She stuck by him and swore by his innocence. Exactly. Yep, yep. Up until his Okay. Death. 
The pair shared three sons, Sam, David, and Christopher, and one daughter named Sarah. Very little is known today of the four children. And actually, they all changed their complete names following his arrest. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So they so they probably were like, mm, we're too smart for this. Yeah, yeah. There's It's probably true. Wow, that's crazy. It doesn't say much, but they all changed their names. So there was, I'm assuming there was probably some stigma behind that that haunted them. Why else would they change their names? Exactly, exactly um okay so okay so the doctor that i chose to do was dr christine daniels this may be a trigger warning to some people so just pre-warning so it's hard to say who people hate more whether it's quack doctors or con artists cloaked in their religion so Dr. Christine Daniel was both of these things. She was a licensed physician and she was very, very intelligent. She was also a Pentecostal minister and she claimed she could perform miracles, any type of miracle. If you prayed hard enough and if you came and she prayed over you, you'd be cured. Okay. So, I mean, right away, it just sounds like, I mean, People with probably a lot of common sense would go, obviously, there's something wrong with that. But I'm sure a lot of people believed in her and trusted her. She was in a position of power. She she sounded like one of those uh, people you see on those like cable channels where they're praying and yeah, basically heal and you're going to spend this much money to attend and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's exactly what. It was. So she claimed that she could cure cancer and multiple other types of diseases and ailments with a combination of special medicine that she had whipped up herself and a combination of prayer and her own specially formulated medicine. um, She could cure you. But was she doing it out of the goodness of her heart? I mean, obviously, she wasn't going to do it for free. Well, so, exactly. It's money's everything. So, what's, what's in yeah. it for her? What's in it for her? Ex- I mean, that's exactly it. So, she didn't really care. Um, she prayed on families who were desperate to save their family members. Most of her patients were terminal. So, like terminal cancer, tumor, you know, close to death already. But she she claimed she could cure long-term cancer, no matter how aggressive it was. So she actually claimed that her cure was made out of rare herbs found in the jungles of Africa. This is what she would tell people on TV. Um, and she would claim that she charged so much money. She charged patients per week for this potion. And one of the patients had said that it came in a freaking water bottle like a plastic water bottle with a taped on label. Oh, Lord. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, sure. Keep going. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited to hear what happens next. So, like, again, these are people that are desperate to save their family members. So I understand. I understand where they're coming from because, um, 
you know, Jordan, like your stepdad passed away. And I think yeah. if your mom could have found a cure, she probably would have went for it. Yeah, exactly. Not that she's not happy now. Um, I'm just saying like, that's people get desperate and yeah. people up in a position of power, like Christine Daniels, they prey on innocent people. And it's just kind of a sick, twisted way to look at things. So she's a doctor and people automatically assume that she wants to help people after treating, treating multiple patients. Right. She, um, I just want to say this because I feel like it's a good documentary to watch if people ever want to crime watch daily has an episode on this and it's very, very interesting. A lot of the patients families say statements and it's really interesting the one girl, she lost her mother and uh, her father was paying up to like $5,000 a week for this medicine. And she was saying how Dr. Daniels threw her mother a party and she printed a fake x-ray and said she was cancer free, that the treatment had worked. So two weeks later, they flew back home and her mom died and she was in so much pain. So it, she was not cancer free. She was actually worse off than she was. So that's how strong of an influence Dr. Daniels had on people, which is insane. It really is insane. But then you look at some of these like cults and stuff, like the hold that they have on some of these people is insane as well. Yeah, you're um, right. So, so, so off topic randomly. After Dr. Daniels was on TV claiming I'm a priest, I'm a doctor, this stuff works. Obviously, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, got called in because they wanted to know what was in this medicine that she was giving people. Obviously, because why wouldn't they want a piece of that, right? Well, exactly. Let's find out what I mean, she's selling if it's healing so many people. Well, yeah, and they can make millions off of that, you know. So her medicine was tested by the FDA. Yep. And the ingredients of this bottle contain nothing more than over-the-counter ingredients you can buy literally at any store. So vitamins, minerals, there was sunscreen in it and beef extract, like flavoring. What the fuck? Yeah. And like, like beef powder? Yeah. With mixed with like water. So yeah. So anyway, she had a huge scam happening, obviously. Like, let's just say Wait, for how what much, it is. How much did you say she was selling these bottles or subscriptions for? So did you get what there she yet? Would, what she would do is, and this was very interesting. She almost had, um, I was listening to one of the victim's husbands who had lost his wife. And he was saying that depended on the patient's um, degree of cancer. So like whether you were a one to a four, like whether you were early or late and what type they had. So I guess she had almost an equation she followed and based on that equation that she followed. So <laughs> does that mean like 10 table, like five tablespoons of this beef extract? Like, and yeah, you know what? Yeah, like literally she was selling these rare jungle herbs and that's why it costs so much. And it was 
just a freaking scam. These struggle herbs makes, better make me hallucinate or some shit. Like, yeah, like really, if they're that. So basically her treatment started minimum at $1,300 to $5,000 per week. All right. All right. You make that money. You scam those people. I mean, and she did. She did. She made over a million dollars by the time this is over. So by the time she was actually brought to justice, many of her patients and people that have come to see her from all over the world that flew there to see her, to see this miracle, you know, priest or, you know, whatever she was, and they wanted help. By the time she was brought to justice, many of her patients, all types of age ranges, there wasn't one specific type, all types of cancers, um, all types of disease. And many of her patients had actually succumbed to their illness that drove them to seek her out. So most of them died from cancer because they weren't doing chemo. They were doing her treatment. Yeah, let me let me drink the sunscreen, sunscreen beef water, and yeah, I mean basically, right? So, I, I mean, really, it came in a freaking plastic water bottle, and you're not asking questions. I feel like this episode is gonna have to be renamed to like sunscreen beef juice or something like that. Sunscreen (laughs) and beef extract, (laughs) right? The doctors of death. I am just, I am baffled and it's amazing because I'm going to go a little bit into her background, not too, too much. So she was actually adopted by missionaries and she received her degree in medicine in Philadelphia. And then she later became a Pentecostal minister, sorry, not priest minister, my mistake, in a Los Angeles area church near her GP medical practice. And she had a really, really beautiful home in Santa Clarita. So she was probably making tons of money to live in Santa Clarita. Of course, of course, definitely. Um, Not to say that she didn't work hard. She was a completely normal licensed physician and surgeon until 2012. And she ran her medical her family medical practice for more than 20 years without any issues so this is something and it's hard to explain because this is like her side her side base yeah literally it's like when you sign up for an mlm and you sell a product to people that's exactly what it reminds me of definitely exactly so she was faking people's x-rays and test results blood results she was faking them she was doctoring them basically to to say that they were cancer free um so in 2001 is when she started offering this herbal remedy and she claimed that it had a 60 to 80 percent success rate in curing things like cancer ms alzheimer's parkinson's diabetes and hepatitis so literally she claimed it could do it all. Damn. So patients began to flock from all over the world. They came to visit. They were drawn to her by her spiritual message and they were desperate for a cure. So um, 
Daniel would actually offer different plans to her patients according to their budgets. And she was never willing to negotiate. She never wanted to lose a sale of her herb to people. One of the victim's husbands actually had to refinance his home. And he paid more than $100,000 in a few months for Christine Daniel to treat his wife's um, extensive or late-term colon cancer. And she actually ended up dying in 2004, a few months after she had taken this amazing treatment. Oh, no. And, uh, you know, the victims, they were saying how they were in so much pain. They were crying out because they hadn't been treated for weeks. So I'm just, I don't even know what to say about this case. It really shakes me to my core. Uh, Not only, I, I would consider her a serial killer, my opinion. I would definitely consider her a doctor of death because she took over, I think the death count was like over 25 lives and she was ordered to pay restitution and she's obviously in prison now. I think a federal prison, but but, you you ain't going to find her killing herself. That's for sure. No, no, no. Like she's, she doesn't have to pay bills. She's being fed. Like she's living the freaking life right now. Are you kidding? Right. Like she never has to come out in society and be responsible for anything pretty much. Like, you know, I I just, I don't know how someone can do that. It's amazing to me. People just amaze me how stupid and like genius they are sometimes. It's like, oh, you little shit. Like, right? Like the stupidest fucking scam that you make like hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's like, huh? Yeah. What? Exactly. So, you know what? Actually, she was only sentenced to 168 months in prison. And she so, had so to like forfeit Ten years, 10 years or so. Christine Daniels. Um, hang on. 168 months into years. Wow. 14 years. Is that right? Yeah. That's what it says. So it looks like she was sentenced to about maybe 10 to 14 years. And she had to forfeit a total of 1.2 mil from her personal account to pay back some of the funds to the victims, families. She should have got it much worse. I watch Crime Watch Daily on YouTube about it. It's really moving to hear about the victims talk about what people went through behind the scenes and how they were so easily scammed. Like, I just don't understand. I guess when you're that desperate, yep, you'll do anything. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I think that's fair to say. So I'll show you a picture of her. Okay. She, she, she's who I'd, I guess I'd guess now that you say it. Yeah, I could picture her being this mystical type person who can heal by your beef juice. <laughs> she literally, she freaking looks so innocent. It drives me insane. She uh, looks like your favorite bus driver. <laughs> hit the speed bump. Hit the speed bump. I could never. Uh, boom. Oh, my God. 
So I'm assuming she's still in prison. She was convicted in 2000. Okay, 2009. She was arrested and charged. So I'm assuming. Oh, here's the ad right here. Los Angeles doctor was sentenced to 14 years in federal prison for bilking pa- milking patients out of more than $1 million. Wow, 14 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. Right. And she was 52, I believe, when this happened. So she's probably going to die in there. Is she, is she very well? So this happened. She was convicted. Mm-hmm. 2000. Oh, shit. What the fuck was that? Did you hear that? No, I did not. Oh my god, that was so annoying. I think it's a 2018. She was officially sent to prison. Okay. Wait, what? I don't know. Something like that. I can't find it. I would I was literally just on this site and then this video popped up and scared the shit out of me. <laughs> it's like holy shit, where the fuck did that come from? I'm so focused on what we're talking about. Okay. Billy, seriously? Okay. So (laughs) you... I know, like, she's so annoying. You start with the second doctor. The third doctor. So who's third? So who's the third? The third doctor goes by the name he was born with, which is Herman Webster Mudgett. However, he has changed his name, and we will get into that name change very I was going to sh- say, we got to talk about that name. <laughs> very shortly. Very shortly. Okay. Okay. The last doctor of death we're going to be talking about today is one of the most infamous serial killers of all. This is also America's first serial killer. Herman Webster Mudgett was born May 16th, 1861 in Gilmanton, New Hampshire. Herman was born into a wealthy and privileged family. He was unusually bright, intelligent, and his intelligence showed at a very early age. There were also haunting signs of what was to come. It is said that at an early age, he became fascinated with death and skeletons. Herman would allegedly trap animals and perform surgery on them. Oh my god. Oh my god. This interest could also be what sparked um his interest in medical in the medical field. Really? You think so? Yeah, no shit. So, at the age of 16, Herman graduated high school and ended up changing his name to Henry Howard Holmes. Oh also my known god. as H.H. Holmes. That's literally no better. <laughs> like He eventually moved to Michigan and attended the University of Michigan Medical School program, where he was also uh, a mediocre student. Mediocre? Yeah, mediocre student. Mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> mediocre, mediocre. Mediocre. Um, Henry eventually began stealing cadavers from the laboratory. He began his reign in terror, and he would often disfigure, burn, and plant these same bodies um, in public places to make it look like there was an accident in which they were killed. 
Oh my God. Henry also uh, began taking out insurance policies for these same dead people um, before he planted their bodies to collect the money from the accident. Wow. He was truly going down a sick and sadistic route and it only got worse. So this was like almost, this was like almost immediately at the age of 16. Wow. Oh my God. It started that young. Yes, it did. So 16, he was basically a psycho. Yes. So now in 1884, Holmes passed his medical exams and became a doctor, but not before a scandal hit. Um, A widowed hairdresser had actually accused H.H. Holmes of making a false promise to marry her. This this was like a big scandal. Um, I don't understand how or why, maybe because she said he'd marry her and he's like, I don't yeah. know who you, I don't know who you are, lady. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I think it was different back then, too. It was different. One year later, he moved to Chicago, where he began working at a pharmacy under the name Dr. Henry Holmes. Shortly after beginning work, the owner of the drugstore mysteriously passed away. The store responsibilities were left to the wife. Holmes actually convinced the wife to buy the drugstore. However, it's not stated whether what happened, but she actually went missing soon afterwards and was never heard from again. We don't know if the actual sale went through or not. We don't. We have no idea. But Henry, or he claimed, just like killed them and took it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Henry claimed she moved to California, but this information could never be verified. Over the next three years, he made a name for himself. He even purchased an empty lot across the street and designed and built a three-story hotel, which the neighborhood nicknamed the Castle. During construction of the castle in 1889. Holmes had hired and fired multiple construction crews so that no one knew exactly what was happening, what he was building, um, which is now known as Dr. Henry Holmes' murder castle. A castle was completed in 1891. He began placing ads in newspapers, offering jobs to young women, and he also advertised the castle as like a place of lodging. So you'd have multiple multiple people coming in and out. Um, he also placed ads um, as a wealthy man seeking a wife. All of Holmes' employees, hotel guests, fiancés, and wives, because it is said to know that he had, I believe that they had said he had three wives at one point who didn't know of each other. Yeah, yeah. It was really wow. confusing. I didn't want to get too into it, but... Um, I mean, I guess it's not really that important. Exactly. Not yet, I guess. Um, So all of these people, like all the employees were to have life insurance, which Holmes offered to pay for. Uh, He offered to pay their premiums only if he is the beneficiary. So most of his fiancés and wives, hotel guests and employees would disappear. Oh, my God. 
it was eventually reported uh, that people in the neighborhood would witness many young women enter the castle, but they would never be seen uh, exiting. <sighs> Two years later, in 1893, um, the World Fair celebrated its 400 years of Columbus Day for America. The event was scheduled from May to October, and it is said to have attracted millions of people from around the world. When Holmes heard the fair was coming to town, he was ecstatic. He looked at it as an opportunity. He had uh, advertised his hotel um, in many of the newspapers, and a lot of female guests actually uh, ended up staying at the hotel many of which were often seduced and convinced to stay there. These women were also never seen again. So let's go over this murder castle a little bit uh, before we dive dive back into some more scandal. It's huge. I'm I'm just looking at the picture of the outside. Yeah, so I I have a whole bunch of information about some of the rooms and some of their descriptions to go over to kind of give us a little bit more in depth but this is just going to be like a basic description that i'm telling right now so the first the first floor of the castle had several stores the upper two levels apparently contained home's office in over a hundred rooms that were used as living quarters some of these rooms were soundproof some contained gas lines so that Holmes could asphyxiate his guests whenever he felt like it. Throughout the building, there were trap doors, peepholes, stairways that led to nowhere, chutes that led into the basement. Um, The basement was designed as Holmes' own lab. It had a dissecting table, stretching rack, crematory. Um, Sometimes he would send bodies down the chute dissect them, strip them of their flesh, sell them as a human skeleton model to medical schools. In other cases, he would choose to creamly or place bodies in the pits of acid. What the fuck? Once the World Fair ended and Chicago's economy was in a downward spiral, Holmes left the castle to focus on insurance scams. So what, he just abandoned it? He, just, he, he basically just kind of packed up his stuff, essentially abandoned it, and then left. Um, okay. He, he and his crime accomplice traveled throughout the U.S. Uh, committing various crimes. Okay. During a traffic stop in Texas, or sorry, during a stop in Texas, a traffic stop, like it's 1990. This is the 1800s. A horse right, and buggy yeah. stop. Pull over. Yeah. Pull over <laughs> Nay. Um, so during a stop in Texas, Nay. he stole horses from a farm. He shipped these horses to St. Louis and then sold them. And he ended up making uh, a fortune, apparently. He was shortly arrested and sent to jail. In jail, he and his cellmate, Marion Hedgepeth, concocted a new insurance plan. He would take a $10,000 insurance policy out, fake his death, then he would pay uh, his cellmate $500 in exchange for a lawyer to help with any problems. Holmes was 
released from uh, from jail on bail, and he attempted his plan. However, the insurance company was suspicious and did not pay him out. Holmes then decided to enact a similar plan in Philadelphia. Um, wow. So meanwhile, his first accomplice moved to Philadelphia and started his own life with his parents. Um, he opened up a fake patent office to swindle investors. Killer was released from jail. He traveled back to Philadelphia. He killed. Um, I did not write down this guy's original. This guy's first name. I only have his last name. I, I don't know why I missed it, but his last name's uh, Pitzel. So like pretzel. okay, like like pretzel. <laughs> he then, like pretzel pretzel. Yeah, he then convinced <laughs> Pet, Pitzel's widow, who had been aware of uh, her husband's involvement in the insurance scams and stuff like that, that her husband was still alive. He gave her $500 of the money he collected and told her basically where she'd be able to find um, her husband. Worried that any of the five children that the couple had might alert the authorities, he killed the three oldest ones, plus the wife. Why he killed the wife after she was paid off, I don't know. It made no sense to me, but... I'm assuming he took his money back. Right? Probably. Yeah, so basically, like, during the scam, uh, he ended up killing his accomplice instead of actually, you know, faking a death, essentially. Um, Howard collected them all the money for himself. So it's now 19... Sorry, 1894, and that old prison cellmate is looking for his payout even though um the plan didn't really go down as as it was supposed to so he went right. to the he went to the police and ratted homes out uh they tracked him down to boston where he was arrested um when he was arrested uh, homes appeared to be uh like he was fleeing the country he had bags packed he was heading towards the border, kind of somewhat like, um, uh, what's his face? Scott Peterson? Yes, exactly. Okay, so did he change his appearance? I'm assuming he probably did. I believe they had said they uh, found him possibly in drag. Oh, okay. Okay, that's interesting. If if this is the same guy, I I read so so many articles and stuff, I forget if this is the same guy, but I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, he was in drag and was living as a woman to hide, basically. Wow. Okay, so so the be- uh, so the police became suspicious when it looked like he was fleeing the country. So they actually decided to investigate the castle. Smart on those police officer. This is where they discovered his strange and efficient methods for committing torturous murders. Many of the bodies they located were so badly dismembered and decomposed that it was hard to determine exactly how many bodies were uh, in, like, the pile, for example. The police investigation spread throughout Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto. While While conducting their investigation in Toronto, police discovered the bodies of the Pitzel children and the wife who had gone missing sometime during the insurance spree. Linking homes to their murders, police then 
um, charged and he was convicted of their murders. He also confessed to 28 other murders. However, throughout in get investigations and missing persons reports, it's believed he's responsible for upwards of 200 murders. In 1896, one of America's first serial killers, H.H. H. Holmes, was hanged. The castle was remodeled as an attraction and named Holmes Horror Castle. However, it burned shortly. To, uh, it burned to the ground shortly before its opening. Wow! So that's that on the story of H. H. Holmes. Now I want to get into a little bit about some of these rooms and what they had. So what they okay. found in some of these rooms. But go I ahead. just want to add something because I think you would find this interesting. I don't think I heard you mention this. It said that he sold the corpses between $25 and $45 per body and then cleaned skeletons that he cleaned himself. So like all the skin off, the tissue, whatever. He sold them as much as $200 per cadaver. So, but today that would be worth $20,000 per cadaver. Damn, damn, I wish. So I I just thought you would find that interesting. I'm just, I was just going to add it. Anyway, keep going. All right. So there was airtight vault to lock a victim up and cut off their air supply. Um, if there is one thing H.H. Oh Holmes knew better at, he was, uh, he knew how to use his whole house as a murder weapon. Um, he was inventing new ways to asphyxiate people. On the third floor of the castle, Holmes installed a soundproof airtight vault lined with, oh, he installed a soundproof airtight vault lined with steel and equipped with a gas flame, which he claimed was there to provide a light source. By blowing on any of the air pipes connected to the vault, Holmes could extinguish the gas flame, or anyone unlucky enough to be trapped inside would quickly suffocate. One of his victims, Annie Williams, was tricked into entering the vault when Holmes asked her to retrieve a file for him. Investigators later found claw marks in the vault walls where she had tried in vain to scratch her way to freedom. So I, I did you okay, I just have a quick question because I'm finding this really interesting. Yep. Did you get by chance the name of the gas that she was using to knock them out? Like it was it, I mean, she must have been getting it from somewhere. He uh he must have been getting it from somewhere because like that's that sounds like really strong crap, you know? Yeah, they had that information in some of the places, but I for I didn't write any of it down. I know, I just think that's really cool. Like it's something I can just go look up later, but I just think that's wow. Yeah, no, the first the first case I think had a little bit more on the chemicals that were used, but not this one. Oh, you know what? It says here, um, coal gas, because it was less subject to explosion. And then it says many of the gas products that he used had significant carbon monoxide in them. And that's what he used to kill or incapacitate his victims. Okay. So, and it said too, that he sometimes would use chloroform. Yeah. Shut up. Let me get there. Okay. (laughs) 
Sorry, I'm like way too excited. Okay, keep going. <laughs> okay, so there was a secret room with no doors to starve a victim in pitch black. Oh my um, gosh. So it was basically a completely sealed up chamber in the middle of the second floor. The secret hideaway was disguised as an extra room at the back of a dark closet, but anyone who tried to open the door to the extra room would find only a wall. After tearing the wall down, police discovered the real entrance to the room, a trap door in the corner of the ceiling, which could only be accessed by climbing through a fake elevator chute. There was no way in or out of the pitch black room. So basically, once you were in and fell through that trap ceiling door, that's that. This left only one choice, but starve to dark, uh, starve to death in the dark. Oh my gosh. This next one's pretty intense. Iron lined rooms filled with blow torches. Oh my god. Several secret rooms in the castle were lined with iron. Um, in most cases, the walls were meant to soundproof uh, the other rooms, but in one room, they served as a far deadlier purpose. This room was lined not only with a sheet of iron, but also with asbestos. Investigators who discovered it found evidence of fire. Like many of the castle's other torture chambers, the iron-lined room was also fitted with gas pipes that could be controlled from home's bedroom. I was there a was, genius. There was a medieval torture rack in the basement were meant for getting rid of dead bodies rather than torturing living ones. For instance, a human-sized stove uh, and vats of acid. Um, oh. Some of his victims were subjected to a stretching rack. Uh, sorry, a stretching rack. Oh. Which is called an elasticity determinator to perform experiences to measure how far a person could be stretched. Victims were slowly stretched and bent until their bones were broken and they eventually succumbed to death. Holmes would then disfigure the bodies in acid or disintegrate them in his giant kiln, never to be seen oh, again. Gosh. He, he was had- cremating them out of his own house. Yep, he was. He also had labs. There was labs full of poison used for twisted experiments. Oh my gosh. There were doors that were rigged to track visitors every move. So basically, um, I just watched Friday the 13th. I, I was telling you about that this yeah. morning. And um, in that movie, Jason had. Um, booby traps all over the forest to basically let them know uh, where people were. So basically if they were running by the front front entrance, there was a, a booby, booby trap line and he'd be underground and he'd be able to hear the bells ringing. So essentially I'm guessing that's kind of what happened here. Well, um, he, he was, I mean, I'm sorry to say this. He was a freaking badass. Oh, just wait, just wait. I, I still have a few, a few, a couple more. Oh my God, more oh, to there's get into. more? There's, I can't believe there's more. I I think there's more than what I actually have written as well. So um, Wow, okay, so there keep were, going. There were fake walls and hidden doors that let home stalk the hotel in secret. Oh my God. Um, so these were, these were the instances of uh, people's secret entrances, um, some rooms had false walls that hinged open, 
Others had hidden doors that led to chambers that only he knew how to navigate. Um, some of these entrances were disguised as regular doors or hidden cleverly that no one would suspect anything. Uh, so basically, you'd be sleeping in your hotel room and he'd come in through a trap door, secret door, and kill you. There were hidden gas pipes to asphyxiate people in their rooms. What the fuck? Um, a system of gas pipes hidden in the walls and floors. These pipes were connected to valves in his personal room so he could la- let gas flood into the other rooms of his peacefully sleeping victims at any time, killing them slowly. Wow. Wow. Um, there was a whole room dedicated to strangulation. So basically, many contraptions that were basically design, uh, designed to uh, strangulate people. So a hanging, there was a hanging secret chamber, for example. Wow. Um, Are you talking like BDSM type stuff? Like that kind of? No. No? Uh, um, yeah, I, I guess so. But Like a little bit, maybe. Yeah, but but more so for just killing. Yeah, <laughs> not so much the orgy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so basically, like Holmes would stalk people throughout the night, isolate them in some of his hidden passageways, and then knock them out with chloroform, drag them back to a hidden room, and then hang them. For example. Then so there- okay, yep. so he obviously he preferred women. And it seemed like he preferred younger women. I'm wondering if maybe some of them too were prostitutes and he was sleeping with them and then, you know, like literally tossing them down the chute. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. He was, he was convincing like women to stay at the hotel. So he must've been handsome enough to, and, you know, kind enough to convince people otherwise. Well, maybe too, he was offering them jobs. You know, to get to know them and to kind of get in there. Exactly. He was. He was offering some people jobs. That's well. crazy. That's crazy. So what happened? What happened? What do you mean what happened? What's the end of it? So he was executed, right? Yes. We're not there yet, right? Yes, he was. Wow. So what happened to the hotel? Like, is it still standing or? It, it burned. To, so it was on. Um, remodeled as an attraction and okay re- renamed as the Holmes Horror Castle. But oh, it was wow. burned but it burned to the ground shortly before opening. Oh really? Right? That would have been so, so sick. Oh my god, yeah. So it's just nothing now. It's just a site basically. Exactly. A site to nowhere. <sighs> I wonder why it caught on fire so much. I'm I'm assuming uh arson, but I could be wrong. Yeah, that's true. He was like big on insurance money. Right. So how much did did you ever find out how much he collected altogether? Obviously he was well off for for that time. Yeah, exactly. I I didn't I didn't go into how much money he collected. I figured he was dead and there was no one to pass the money on to, so Well, yeah. I, I was just saying it would have been interesting to see how much he actually swindled from people. Exactly. So, so he was, yep. wow. No, no, keep going. No, no, I was basically on the verge of 
about to change the subject. <laughs> oh no, go ahead, change the subject. 